So imagine you're making what you're doing if you're only proclaiming the charisma is making a church full of babies, Christian babies. Yeah. Imagine what that would be like. I mean, I love babies, but a church <laughs> full of babies is scary. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Every Knee Shall Bow, your weekly Catholic podcast on evangelization. I am, as always, Mike Gomer Gormley, and I am joined by my friend and co-host, Dave, I'm kind of a big deal around here. Van Vickle, how you doing, man? Good, but I don't know what area you'd be referring to that I'm kind of a big deal. Uh, no, mostly, mostly just Nowhere. your job as a bouncer. <laughs> yeah, then I was a big. Deal. Uh, do you not do that anymore? No, no, man, no. I um once I would be terrified if you were the bouncer. No, I'm a great bouncer because I don't get angry at anything. You know. <laughs> um, no, but uh, no, I. I, I did it uh, probably up until like three years ago or four years ago when, you know, when the speaking started to supplement my income, I didn't need to kick people out of bars anymore to supplement my church income. And then you found out that you lost a prime uh, area for evangelization. I know. that's tr- I, I literally agonized over who is going to talk to these people if I'm not here. I'm not kidding you. That was that was a big issue for me because I had so many fruitful conversations. See that I mean I've said this before I'm sure on the podcast. Do you know people are funny? I, my opinion has always been that the further away people are from God, the easier the evangelization is. That that is absolutely yeah. the way I feel. That give me three a.m. at a disgusting bar in the middle. You know, you know people who are as far away from the Lord as you think they possibly could over old church ladies any day, honestly. <laughs> what what do you think it is about that? What do you think it is? Well, I think they feel the distance, first of all. But I think also those people are not kicking the can down the road, right? They have tried every drink, drug, thrill-seeking activity, every relationship they possibly could to experience happiness, and they feel more alone, more desperate, more depressed than anyone else. So if if you approach them at a time like that, it's very possible that they're like, you are the craziest person I ever met. Like a pro, like a bouncer at a bar trying to evangelize me and talk to me about Jesus. But I've tried everything else. Maybe I should just listen. Maybe know? I should trust this bouncer. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, I've had I've had beautiful conversations in the bars, you know, with people. Huh. So that's really interesting because yeah. I remember people doing bar evangelization back when I was in college. Oh, that's right. I remember yeah. that too. And one of my that was one thing. of my friends went to it and he said, "Man, I'll never do that again." And I said, "Why is that?" And he's like. Because you make it seem like it's a den of debauchery when it's just people after work getting a beer, and then oh sure, okay, and yeah. then he realized it, it was so funny because there is an element where uh, for the Franciscan University of Supervil crowd, bar evangelization sounds like those people over there. Oh, they yeah, right. When in fact it's them <laughs> on yeah, a Friday right. night, right. two nights right. later. Yeah, I remember one awkward. Yeah. Yeah, I remember one time there was a, a bar that we would always go to called um, Cross Creek Tavern. Oh, I love it. One, one of my favorite places on the face of the earth. Yeah. We would go to Cross Creek Tavern on Thursday nights. It was student night. Yeah. And it's like basically a double wide trailer. And uh, It was so gross. Then <laughs> I was, it was so gross. I was there as a grad student and I took some of my friends who were undergrads, who were seniors, and we all went and we're hanging out, but it was a Tuesday night. Yeah. And it wasn't student night and it was all the locals. And it was hysterical to see how uncomfortable the Frannies were in that right, situation. Right, right. And then uh, I looked at this guy and I said, what do you think the new evangelization is? Right. Like, what, what do you think right. it is? Do you think it, 
do you think it's not about these people right now? Right, like right. this is yeah. what it is. Oh, oh, you only want to evangelize the people who come from good homes, are well adjusted, and already for some weird reason believe in Jesus. So it's easier for you. Like, come oh, on, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. And it's it it is it's an uncomfortable situation because in a lot of cases, like though a lot of those people. I, I have almost nothing in common with them. Like if if you're hiring a guy like me to work security at a bar, then it's probably not a bar that a white class, a middle class white male, you know, frequents very often, you know, like I, so I have very little in common with with like the people. And it's just been like it, it was awesome. It was so awesome because it was like it just expanded my conception of like the goodness of humanity truly really in all honesty yeah and getting getting to know like people who have just human virtue they never had really a chance to uh have like christian virtue because they were never preached the gospel as children but they are on the periphery and they have such human virtue and they were looking for so much so i had i had awesome awesome conversations and awesome i still keep in touch with like waitresses bartenders uh, just random people that we threw out and I ended up evangelizing them as we waited for a cab, you know, and like, you know, I still keep in touch with a lot of those people. It's, <laughs> that it's is awesome. So funny. And, and the random person who waits for you in the parking lot with the glass bottle to smack over your head. You ever yeah, keep in touch with that guy? No, I don't. He's in prison. Um, <laughs> He is. He went to prison for something else. Wouldn't that be funny if I evangelize him in the prison ministry that I do? The that would be awesome. And, and we, we would just end the podcast. We'd be like, it's come full circle. Come. Jesus is returning. This is a sign of the kingdom. We have a cool topic today, okay? And what we're going to talk about is the, the deposit of faith, right? The deposit of faith of uh, and and what it the role of it is in evangelization because we've spent a lot of time talking about the kerygma, and what I want you to kind of consider is that the kerygma is a foundation to be able to receive, you know, the important part of our faith, which is the deposit of faith, that that Christ has revealed truth to his church, and the church interprets, right, Christ's words, interprets sacred scripture, uh, and transmits sacred tradition to us, and we receive that deposit of faith from the church, and it's important, right? We don't throw out dogma just because we're focusing a little bit on kerygma. Recently, I've I've run into about four different people who have told me stories of catechism classes that brought them back to Jesus. And they said all it was was a very simple uh, class on teaching the, 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 the stalwart, the universal teachings of the church that they just stumbled into for some reason or another. And that brought them into a vibrant and living relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and this is kind of the opposite of a lot of the rhetoric that we're, we're saying today, you know, because the church always swings in pendulums, unfortunately, right? We, we obsessed about the kerygma because we had forgotten about it, in all honesty. We had forgotten about it, right? The kerygma in crisis. And now it seems like uh, we can have a tendency to throw out the opposite side of that. There's a reason why... Father John Harden, who's you know famous, famous modern teacher of the faith, has a wake of thousands and hundreds of thousands of converted Christians behind him, and all he did was teach the faith. That was it. Uh, the Catechism uh, number eighty nine says that there's an organic connection between our spiritual life and the dogmas. Dogmas are lights along the path of faith. They illuminate it and make it secure. Conversely, if our life is upright, our intellect and heart will be open to welcome the light shed by the dogmas of faith. There's an organic link. 
we can't just say like there's religion and then there's spirituality or there's religion and there's Jesus. No, the dogmas are about the truth. And Jesus says he's the way, the truth and the life. So we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater in a sense. I, I, you know, I very much can see in the last 12 years of my uh, apostolate in parish ministry, um, the fruit of just keeping my head down and teaching the faith. Of course, proclaiming the kerygma, but keeping my head down and teaching the faith. Gomer, uh, you are the adult faith formation guy. <laughs> and I say that, the. <laughs> like, I mean, Pope Benedict is there, and then we've got Gomer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? We get coffee. And, and, I mean, that's, I mean, this is this is your ministry, really. I mean, in, in a very real sense, like, you teach the dogma, right? I mean, for a long time, you've done that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Adult faith formation, the, the sad state of the church is that adult faith formation is today what youth ministry was 15 years ago. Right. Meaning right. You're, they're all at the same level of igno profound ignorance of the faith. In fact, I would say it's uh, I get the privilege of educating young adults in a lot of ways who grew up within solid youth ministry where they were catechized and evangelized. Oh, okay. And so now they need more. Whereas when I'm dealing with like people in their 40s and 50s and 60s and older, they often do not have fundamental theology surrounding Trinity, creation, uh, Christology, soteriology, like any of that stuff. Right. And so part of our task is to represent the truths of the gospel um, and not neglect catechesis. So this is one of the big things that I... I Love because when Dave told me this topic, I got super excited. I we're recording this at five fifteen in the morning. I woke up at uh, four fifteen just to prepare for today um, when he gave me the topic that he wanted to talk about. Because one of the big things I love moral theology, but I don't know if you know this, Dave. Morality is kind of like a, a difficult point with people, right? <laughs> There's some disagreement <laughs> no. there. Oh, really? I wonder why. I, yeah, I don't know why. Sex. Um, the <laughs> it's always sex. Uh, sex and medicine now. Yeah. But the idea um, that uh, I, I was reading this book by a, a, a Catholic theologian named Livio Molina, and he mentioned the crisis in moral theology. I feel like everything's a crisis, but the crisis in moral theology was um, because of contraception and humane vitae and all that stuff, it became a pastoral go-to to just focus on the kerygma and not at all explain the moral theology of the church as if we were to proclaim that Christ is, you know, crucified and risen and ascended, but never tell people what it means to follow him. Yeah. And so that was during my moral theologian days where I desperately wanted to be one because I'm just so fascinated by it. Now that I've gotten into actually proclaiming the kerygma, I realize very few people proclaim the kerygma. But the idea behind what we want to talk about, how we want to frame this is the notion of discipleship. Pope John Paul, very clearly, and I love this phrase, he said, um, when he talks about Christ's final command in Catechesi Tridende, he says that the church has always considered catechesis one of her primary tasks. And then uh, in, in the next paragraph, after he explains the giving the apostles authority to communicate the mission and power, um, he says, very soon the name of catechesis was given to the whole efforts within the church to make disciples to help people to believe that Jesus is the son of God, so believing they might have life in his name and to instruct them in this way of life and build up the body of Christ. So when people do this ridiculous thing where we, out of fear of the divisiveness of catechesis, whether it's moral theology or, or 
um, the or Eucharist, dogma. yeah, dogmas right. that we believe or anything like that. What ends up happening is when we focus on the kerygma, we are not giving them the full measure of Jesus Christ. The kerygma matters, but following Jesus matters. When Jesus entered a town, and I, I'm just now rereading the Gospel of Matthew, doing my weekly go through the Gospels. And yesterday, I, uh, I'm on Matthew 4, and it talks about him going through to every town and village, right? And what did he do? He preached, he taught, and he healed. Preaching, teaching, healing. There's even a right. book called To Preach, To Teach, and To Heal. Like, this understanding of preaching is kerygma. That's what the word in Greek uh, means. It means to preach or proclaim. And then the didache, the teaching, you can't have one without the other. No. They are meant to flow from the one. The initial proclamation of the gospel is meant to lead into the maturing stage of catechesis. Uh, evangelization in terms of an initial proclamation of the kerygma is not enough. It is the doorway to faith, but once you cross that threshold, now you're in the house of faith. Now you must conform your life to Christ. And if we hold that back, we are ruining the gospel. We are undermining the efforts and the power of the kerygma to change people's lives. Right, and it, it it's not just it's not just ruining the efforts. It is literally not proclaiming the fullness of the person of Jesus Christ. Yeah. The, in it, within even the most boring dogmas of the church, we we are proclaiming a piece of Jesus Christ. And so, you know, you can say th this kind of false dichotomy that we set up, where you say like, oh, you know, that's that's just I, what I want is just just Christian discipleship. I don't need to know these complicated things. It's like what you're saying is, well, give me the arm without the heart. You know, you can't do that. It's not possible to separate the two. And even when you give them the arm, it proclaims a little bit of the heart. When you give them the heart, it proclaims a little bit of the of the other parts of the body. It ex They explain each other, which brings me to catechism number 90, right? That says the mutual connections between dogma and their coherence can be found in the whole revelation of the mystery of Christ. In Catholic doctrine, there exists an order or hierarchy of truths since they vary in their relation to the foundation of the Christian faith. What, what, what the catechism is saying here is that, look, if, if you see dogma as a burden on, on preaching Jesus Christ, it's probably because you're not preaching Jesus enough. And if you're seeing your preaching of, of Jesus as a, as a burden on the dogma, it's probably because you're doing one of them out of balance. You, you have to just balance them both. And trust me, and I know Gomer would agree with me on this, because I've heard him do it. There is not a single dogma of the Catholic Church that you can't weave the kerygma into teaching. You can't. Yeah. There's no. When, one of the things that I do is I have a program called Inclusion. That's a homegrown thing for Protestants becoming Catholic. And you have to be baptized, have very little marriage issues, because everyone who's converting, we all know how difficult that can be. Um, and you have to be well-formed in your Protestant faith. And my biggest thing is I want to show every evangelical that enters the Catholic Church, or at, at least enters the classroom, that every one of her dogmas, those infallible statements that the, that the church obliges upon all the faithful to receive with an irrevocable adherence of faith. I love that phrase. Um, and that comes from the Catechism 88, paragraph 88. Yeah. When they can see these dogmas and see them attached to the Paschal mystery of Christ. The Paschal mystery of Jesus Christ is the kerygma in a lot of ways, right? It's the central driver. Why did Jesus die? Because we've sinned. What does his death accomplish? Brings us home to the Father. And so precisely our task as Christians 
is to make people mature in Christ Jesus. It's to make them disciples. The urgency, the complete surrender of discipleship is decisive. And to sidestep that, to and, and here's an issue that I see, and I know Dave sees this too because we were talking about this before we filmed or recorded, um, is we see various movements and, and influencers in the church who negate the catechetical demands, the maturing demands, all that stuff, and just say, oh, just pro- proclaim the kerygma. That's all you need to do. That's all you need to do. That's not all you need to do. The kerygma is the excellent entry point into the life of Christ. It fosters faith in Jesus Christ. But to negate, minimize, ignore, or downplay the role of discipleship or catechesis is to not give them the full Christ. And there's another thing that I think we, we do it because we want to avoid division. Um, and that's what we call a false peace or what um, Pope Pius XII called the false irenicism with our Protestant brothers and sisters because we share the kerygma. 99% of the kerygma is the exact same thing. Christ died for you. Well, is it penal substitutionary atonement? Is it this and that? Okay. But when we can, we can speak the kerygma, but when it comes to catechesis, there's often division. And so I think people want to avoid that division as well. But that's a false irenicism, a false peace. And no Catholic and Protestant ever came together by pretending like there are no differences. I mean, that's not true unity. <laughs> I mean, I mean, th- the truth is, is that it, it's no different. Remember, remember what we said at the very early episodes. When evangelization gets past, when it gets more complicated than introducing any other friend, you've gotten a pro- you've gotten away from what the truth is. And if I say to Gomer, Gomer, you're awesome, you're super dynamic, it's easy to understand you and you're really great, but I can't <laughs> handle I can't handle Shannon. She's difficult. There are things I disagree with her about. She's you know, she, there's a high level of entry point there. She's too intelligent for me to understand and and I just I want all the Gomer but none of the Shannon. That's ridiculous, <laughs> right? It's a ridiculous thing because you're rejecting the person basically based on, you know, who they're with. Yeah. Okay? It's the same thing. We can't reject that. And Remember, you know, one of the obsessions that I see today, um, I, I shouldn't say obsession because it's not a negative thing, but people all the time talk about they want to they want to hear God speak to them. They want to hear God speak to them. And I, I think what we have to teach people when we're evangelizing is how to discern right between God's voice and the voice of our, our own, like our imagination, the voice of the evil one and the voice of the world and all those things. And what people don't realize is that one of the ways one of the most stalwart and you know safe ways to discern to to learn how to discern God's voice is by really steeping yourself in the places where we know for a fact he's speaking and one of those places is through the magisterium of the church right yeah. christ says those who hear you hear my voice right that the apostles share with us and it is christ's voice coming to us through them and so if we're steeped in dogmatic theology if we know the teachings of the church, if we know sacred scripture and sacred tradition, when we hear the voice of the world, when we hear the voice of the evil one, when we hear even our own imagination, we're going to say, hey, that doesn't sound like what God sounds like. Yeah. You know, This is not what God sounds like. And it's a great way to help people to safely gain intimacy and communication with God. Yeah, and too often people run after the sensational. Dave knows this because he has a yeah. whole thing with exorcisms and all this stuff. Um, 
that people run to the sensational. And I hearken back to the words of St. Teresa of Avila, where she said, if you want to hear God speak to you, read scripture. If you want to see a miracle, yep. uh, receive right. the Eucharist. And and remember, that's Teresa of Avila, who literally was, you know, a mystic, right? Was <laughs> God was speaking. She flew in right. the air. She right. flew right. during prayer time. Right. And she says that. And yeah. she says, I mean, you can hear God the way she did, read scripture. Yeah. And, you know, a part of my faith in its infantile stage was surrounding myself with private revelation. Um, it was all these like, oh, there's uh, like which ones? Like which oh, ones? Do we have love to, to know? Oh man, like Garabandal and Medjugorje <laughs> and yeah. Yeah. Um, Akita, Akita Japan, approved and unapproved. Okay. Oh yeah, that's a scary one. Akita, yeah, Akita we are scary. literally living that stuff yeah. out right now. But uh, yeah, right, the right. Um, oh, all of them, you know, Fatima and the ooh, what's the yeah. third secret yeah. and all that stuff. And sure, right, um, right. there are so many different things that. Um, that were drawing my attention, but it was drawing me away from depth. Okay. It was drawing me away from prayer or it was keeping my prayer super sensationalistic and revolving around these things. Right. And my, and listen, I'm not saying that you people out there who turn to faith because you heard about this and it drew you in. Okay, great. I'm not denying that. What I'm saying is what Dave said. These dogmas are the light by which we see everything else. They are. Uh, they demand total adherence of intellect and will, because it is divine revelation, right. right? And it is the church discerning. The magisterium of the church was given to us by Jesus Christ, not so that we just proclaim the charisma, the preaching, but so we also do the teaching. And if you think of teaching as taking the charisma and maturing it into every aspect of someone's life, right. when you have right. sexuality issues, when you have family issues, marriage issues, sacrament issues, worship issues. This reflects the magis- the role of the magisterium. They're not here to be a bunch of experts. I, I remember um, I remember one day, so this is, this is like a really funny way that this applies. So I'm sitting on the plane next to this dude with the King James Bible, and we get into a whispering <laughs> debate over the authority of the Catholic Church and Sola Scriptura for two hours and 48 minutes coming home from South Florida. And um, I keep reiterating to him, that he doesn't believe in sola scriptura, the scripture alone is the sole authority. He believes in sola, my interpretation scriptura, right? Like he believes right. in his interpretation. And so I said to him, I said, who are you to oppose your pastor if you think your pastor is interpreting oh, scripture wrong? Wow. I was like, he went to school. He did this. He did that. He knows the Greek language. He knows Hebrew. And I go, and he's an expert. He studied for years. And he goes, well, I guess you're right. Yeah, he right. He is an expert. I go, that's not the right <laughs> no don't you understand because right. i've studied theology enough to know that there are schools that come and go if you study <laughs> biblical theology nothing is as dated as a german biblical theologian right <laughs> or exegete yeah like all of their thought i mean these huge things that then fall by the wayside with less than a generation and so like the idea is christ didn't set up a panel of experts he gave us the magisterium and the magisterium's primary task is not to know everything flawlessly. It's not to be the world's greatest preachers and teachers. It's to give an authentic interpretation of the word of God, whether it's scripture or tradition. That's the goal. It's to give an authentic interpretation of the word of God, right? And so what happens is, as servants to the word of God, their task is to guard what was handed down and to be devoted to listening to the Holy Spirit. That is, they're called to be discerners. So when new issues arise or new modes of transmitting the faith come about, 
It is their task, not just to be an expert, but to discern the movement of the Spirit in these things as it applies to the tradition of the church, a.k.a. the Word of God in both Scripture and tradition. So if you are, like like Gomer and I, if you're involved professionally in evangelization, if you're if you're a volunteer, if you're one of these people who's a mover and shaker at your parish that started a program like Alpha, like Discovering Christ, like those things, great, and we applaud you on that. It's time then for those people who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, who've, who've made him the center of their life, that they start to learn his voice, and you have to start teaching them the stalwart and universal teachings of the church. And I promise you, no matter what you're thinking right now, that you can't do it, no, that's not it, I promise you that won't be an issue, that they're not going to take it. There might be some blowback, but you will see incredible spiritual growth from your flock who they're they're dying for this stuff. This is the way we feed them, right? Remember, Scripture says, my people perish for lack of knowledge. This is happening. I mean, it's right. It's happening right before our eyes. And so taking these two things together, let this pendulum swing to the middle and really proclaim the fullness of Jesus Christ and do it boldly by both proclaiming the charisma and teaching the dogma and also do it in a way that you're not saying like, well, this is the charisma stage and this is the dogma stage. Now, you might have it divided up that way. But make sure that the charisma always involves the truth of Jesus Christ and the truth and the teaching of the apostle. And make sure the dogma always involves the charisma, always involves the love of God, the the his desire for us, the 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 paschal mystery. Make sure that they are never separated. Uh, even if you are focusing on one for a period of time, make sure that they're never separated. Yeah. Do you think Jesus Christ died and rose so that we would just believe that he died and rose? He died and rose to make us a new creation. Right, it's just a good story. Like so, when you stand there, oh man, <laughs> and you deny or sap or ignore the full catechesis that Christ has given us, you are denying to people the ability to be mature in Christ Jesus. Right? Um, I remember there was a there's a certain health and wealth gospel proclaimer down here in Houston who shall remain nameless. And he was interviewed, and they said, "Are you? is your church against abortion? And he said, well, we believe, smiling the whole time, we believe that if believers read Scripture, they're going to come to the same conclusions. And they're like, well, what are those conclusions? Well, we believe everyone needs to come to these conclusions themselves if you really encounter our Lord. And he never said whether or not they were pro-life or pro-choice or make an exception for all this stuff. They never said that because this is the, this is the issue with a church that focuses on kerygma and not kerygma and didache, not proclamation and teaching. Right. You're not maturing the faith. So you, if you don't stand for anything, you fall, or don't stand for something, you fall for anything. But the idea is the, the deposit of faith is what was entrusted right. to the church. The depo- This is what we're handing out. This is the apostolic faith. So part of the reason why I'm fired up is David mentioned to me where he said he was in a conversation with someone that said, just all we need is a kerygma. You don't need to do catechesis. Right. And it's not true. And it bothers me because catechesis is the name for discipleship. Right. Right. The biblical term is discipleship. Right. And this means we aren't making disciples. So if we proclaim the death of Christ and his glorious resurrection and ascension, but we don't form people in it. We are going to kill the church because only disciples can be evangelists. 
That's right. That's right. So imagine you're making what you're doing if you're only proclaiming the charisma is making a church full of babies, Christian babies. Yeah. Imagine what that would be like. I mean, I love babies, but a church <laughs> full of babies is scary. We want to help them to grow. And that's what we're trying to say here is we just want to make sure that it's a well-rounded, that you're proclaiming the full face of Jesus Christ and 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 allowing people to fully experience his voice in their yeah. life and especially allowing people the chance to not just have that personal uh, speaking of God in their life, like, you know, God t- speaking to them the way he does to our hearts, but for them to actually have a chance to to get a hold of the meat of what God has said so they can discern all his other, all the other parts of their life and, and look at uh, the way they see God moving in their life through a, a, a true lens, a clear lens of what the church teaches. Yeah, and I want to say there uh, in the '90s there was something called the Lordship controversy. You ever heard of that, Dave? I don't think so. Okay, so the Lordship controversy was something that raged in the evangelical world. Okay, and um, there's these two guys, Ryrie and Hodges, and they I think they were from Dallas Theological Union, and um, they were opposed by a guy named John MacArthur. Oh yeah, and Ryrie and Hodges uh, were put on blast by John MacArthur because he believed that they were teaching what he calls easy believism. Oh, okay. And easy believism is here. And I think this is a very American thing. Here's the sinner's prayer. You pray that once you're immediately saved. Boom. Even if you don't live the Christian life, boom, you're done. Once saved, always saved. Right. And while John MacArthur would not deny, uh, once saved, always saved, he would say that praying some superstitious extra biblical prayer does not magically make you a disciple of Jesus Christ and saved. So he would say, you have to have Jesus as as the Lord of your life. And quoting uh, John the Baptist from Matthew, um, I think it was Matthew chapter three, uh, you must bear fruit that befits repentance, right? So you aren't, you can't just say a sinner's prayer if you're not repentant. So you have to bear fruit that fits repentance, right? So his whole thing is, you have to have Christ be the Lord of every aspect of your life, not just your Savior. And Ryrie and Hodges were saying, no, 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 no. You don't need Jesus to be the Lord of anything. You can just have him be your Savior, and you don't have to obey a single command. You don't have to be holy. You don't have to do anything, because anything you do is a Catholic, Pelagian, heretical, adding to the gospel with your works. Right. And uh, and he was trying to show, no, if you don't have true faith alone salvation if it's not accompanied with works. And then one of Scott Hahn's students in the 90s wrote to Dr. MacArthur and was like, or wrote to John MacArthur was like, you are so close to the Catholic Church. Let me tell you about the sacraments. And John wrote her back, really put her on blast, too. He's like, oh, I would much rather stand with Ryrie and Hodges than the whore of Babylon. <laughs> That's awesome. But, uh, but this is the thing. If you only proclaim the charisma, you have Jesus Christ as Savior but not as Lord. You are dividing the unity of Christ. You are separating who he is and what he accomplished and what he desires for our lives. You are essentially creating a faith alone Catholicism that is weak and insufficient for the life of the church. Christ wants us to be in him through faith and baptism. We become in him. And then Christ wants to live the Paschal mystery that he accomplished 2000 years ago in us. We want to be in the redeeming Christ. That is our goal. We want to enter into the heart of the Paschal Mystery, which is why every single teaching of the Catholic Church can be tied to the death and resurrection of Christ. I want you to be holy. I want you to be canonizable saints. You and I, Dave, like as flawed as we are, that's what we desire for our people. 
catechesis is the only method by which men and women become saints because it is out it is the church's way of discipling people into Christ and to deny that is to deny the outcome of why Christ died to conform us into the image and likeness of him the son the firstborn of creation so proclaim the great story of salvation the charisma and proclaim the teaching of the apostles and and yeah. i promise you you're going to see unbelievable fruit the way so many in the past have seen that kind of fruit. So uh, when we come back, we are going to have your five practical takeaways. Uh, you know, ladies and gentlemen, again, as we always say, we love getting your comments, your questions your, by email. If you have any questions about evangelization, uh, please email us at eksb at ascensionpress.com. Every knee shall bow at ascensionpress.com. And uh, we're so happy to be part of the Ascension family, the Ascension Press family. Uh, check them out, ascensionpress.com. They have all kinds of awesome products, especially with the topic today. If you're nervous about teaching the, the, the dogma, the teaching of the, the apostles, they have a lot of great, great resources that can help you with this. Uh, when we come back, we'll have your five practical takeaways. Reading the Bible is something we as Catholics know we should do. But, let's be honest, it can be kind of complicated. Even though it's a complete story, the Bible isn't really one book. It's more like a library, with dozens of books and dozens of genres. There's poetry, prophecy, and prose. There are apocalypses and revelations, historical accounts and allegories. No wonder it's difficult to keep a finger on the story of God's love and plan of salvation for His people, the thread that keeps all of it together. If you're wishing there was a simple guide to help you tie all of this together, then you're just like Jeff Cavins and Tim Gray. That's why they wrote the book, Walking with God. Walking with God is a single book that traces the story that ties the Bible together. It helps you to understand the big picture of the Bible. If you're looking to read more of the Bible, Walking with God will help you do it with confidence, peace, and clarity. You can find out more and order Walking with God on ascensionpress.com or on Amazon. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. We are back, and now it's time for the most painful part of the show where we dive in to practical takeaways, things you can do today uh, that put today's message into practice. So Dave, he's actually going to do something a little different because his are very interrelated. He's going to do the first three, and I'm going to do the last two. Yeah, okay, so number one. I want you to pull out your catechism, okay? I want you to, uh, if you don't have one, you should have one, right? You should yep. have a catechism of the Catholic Church. We're talking about the new catechism here. And uh, it's available online if you don't want to get one or if you're one of those people who just reads things on a screen like Gomer. Um, the first thing I want you to do is I want you to open up that catechism. I want you to turn to paragraphs 74 through 95, 74 through 95. They relate to what we were talking about today, the transmission of faith, the deposit of faith, the magisterium, what dogmas are and, and, and how they are, are part of our faith. Okay. Um, and how they form, you know, the, the foundation of our faith. Okay. I want you to just read those 74 through 95. It's really not long and it's very, very straightforward. Just take a look prayerfully read through this you know beautiful part of the transmission of the faith this beautiful part of the uh of the magisterium this this catechism okay so read 74 through 95 
The next thing I want you to do is I want you to pick a dogma of the Catholic Church. Okay, you could literally Google a list of dogmas of the Catholic Church if you wanted to. Okay, it could be something like transubstantiation. It could be something like um, uh, Gomer name a dogma. Um, the Immaculate Conception, the Trinity. Immaculate Conception, the Trinity. Yeah, there's there's several hundred. Okay, uh, and what I want you to do is pick one and enter a little more deeply into it. Okay, the way you're going to enter in deeply, a little more deeply into this is. The first thing you're going to do is you're going to look it up in the catechism. You're going to read everything that the catechism has to say about it. You're going to go down to the bottom where they have the footnotes, and you're going to see what the catechism quotes about it, and maybe take a look at some of those things even. Uh, you might even Google what the church fathers had to say about that dogma or something. I want, what I want you to do is do a little, get back into school a little bit here, right? Go back into uh, the intellectual mode and... Just really get into one of these dogmas, okay? Really sink your teeth into it. And finally, number three, I want you to take notes on that dogma, and then I want you to prepare how you would present that dogma within the context of the kerygma, or vice versa, how you would how you would weave the two together if someone asked you specifically, how would you say that the Immaculate Conception is related to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, okay? Uh, and that's it's important to understand how to do that because it's going to make you a very effective evangelist when the time comes. And believe it or not, a lot of evangelizing conversations start with someone saying, yeah, but does the church really teach this? And so if you can answer on that specific question in a way that's charismatic and dogmatic, you become a very powerful evangelist. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm going to do um, the last two and they're going to be focused on spirituality. So number one is your own personal spiritual life. Take some time to sit down and ask Christ, where do I need you to be the Lord of my life? Like what areas have I been hiding, neglecting, um, not bringing your lordship over what Pope John Paul calls the saving sovereignty of Christ, right? So we want the lordship of Jesus in prayer to be over every aspect of our lives, finances, money, intimacy, relationships, whatever. Um, and this flows directly into the next thing. It's time for intercession. And this might be very difficult for some of you. This might be very natural for some of you. Intercede for the USCCB. Yeah. Good Lord. Right. I, I This is just... a simple practical thing the usccb is the united states conference of catholic bishops if you're not from america then pray for your own national conference of catholic bishops or regional whatever you have um but intercede for them pray on your knees for the collection of bishops for the magisterial representatives in your area um you know we talk about there's no such thing as a bad priest only priests who aren't prayed for um i think that line from saint therese can apply to bishops, and it's harder to pray for bishops because we're so angry because of the scandal and all that. But um, so sit down in front of the Blessed Sacrament, ask Jesus, where do I need you to assert your lordship over my life, um, and then intercede for the USCCB. And this way, you and I can enter into the beautiful Paschal Mystery of Christ. This has been Every Nisha Bow, your weekly Catholic podcast in evangelization, once again, Dave has proven that he is kind of a big deal around here. Yeah, right. We love having you every week with us. <laughs> Keep us in your prayers. We pray for you. Contact us at EKSB at AscensionPress.com. God bless you all. Adios. Adios.